Hello, and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Facebook group. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We're going to cover puppy raising right from the start on this podcast. And although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is actually going to be my first time raising a puppy too. So I'm right in the trenches with you on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. We're starting from the beginning today with Carrie Brooks to talk about selecting a shelter or rescue and then selecting a shelter or rescue puppy. Carrie started her professional dog training career days after graduating college. She worked at Dogs for the Deaf, now Dogs for Better Lives, for 10 years, becoming a certified assistance dog trainer and later the apprentice program instructor. In 2015, she started Go Rogue Dog Training Center with her business partner, Kay Geiler. Today, as I said, we're talking about how to find a shelter or rescue and then how to pick a puppy from within that shelter or rescue. There's not really a right or wrong way to do this, but we're going to cover some of our top tips and just kind of talk through the process with you. And as we get started here, I just want to um, announce that I do have my new puppy. He is in the home. He's been with me for less than 24 hours. So if you hear some squeaking, whining, rustling, any of that, that is my puppy in the, the exercise pen literally two feet away from me. So I apologize in advance for that. So Carrie, can we just start out talking a little bit why supporting good shelters matter and why, you know, rescuing isn't automatically the best thing that you can do? Um, anything that you've got to say kind of on that topic? Well, I think it's really important to to support um, reputable rescues, ones that are, are trying to help um, not only dogs find homes, but dogs stay in homes. Um, that they're helping out the, the community in many different ways, uh, that they have different programs to, to help with um, pet homelessness. And those programs could be things like offering the community low-cost spay and neuter. They could be having food banks. I know that the shelter I'm working at or I help out at right now um, they have a, a food bank because during the pandemic, people don't have a lot of extra resources. And so they are giving food out to the community. Um, also, we want to have the shelter, you know, being really transparent with what the animals, what they know about the animals, both behavioral, behaviorally and medically, um, and that they're able to kind of support you through all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, it's it's really hard to vet what a good shelter or good rescue is if you're not kind of on the inside. And we recognize that. And there are times where, you know, potentially, I think the media narrative about what a good shelter is, is probably that a good shelter is a no-kill shelter. And at least my personal opinion is that that's not unilaterally true. Um, so there, it, it's more nuanced than that. You can't just look at a live release rate or a euthanasia rate and put a shelter in a good or bad bucket. Um, in fact, I actually really generally recommend if you find a dog that you really like or a puppy that you really like from a, a high kill shelter, that's actually a great place to get your dog from because you're helping save another dog by going there and Absolutely. supporting them. Yeah, by, you know, you adopting one dog, you're, you're helping another dog have a place in that shelter. And we have to remember that all these shelters have different resources. You know, some Absolutely. have... Um, you know, a lot of money coming in, uh, but maybe sometimes our county shelters don't, um, and they have limited resources. Um, and that does not mean it's a, a bad shelter. Um, they have yeah. to work with what, what they have. Absolutely. And then on the flip side, I know when I used to work in sheltering, I saw 
a lot of really sad cases of both large and small rescues that were no kill, but they got in over their heads with too many dogs that they were unable to euthanize or unwilling to euthanize um, that had really serious medical or behavioral issues. And they start walking the line or falling over into more of hoarding case territory honestly not infrequently and that is something that you know i'm always really cognizant of trying to avoid supporting about you know that doesn't mean that you can't get a great dog from them it's just you know where you want to put your money so you know as i said we're diving right into like really difficult stuff right away here um absolutely and you know behaviorally um there are definitely some dogs that the time that they would be sitting in the shelter to find that perfect place for them to go isn't always the fairest thing to do or the safe thing to do for the community. Absolutely. And luckily, generally, you know, this is the pandemic puppy podcast. So we're talking about puppies here. For the most part, the the puppy that you're planning on adopting from a shelter or rescue is not at risk. But you still do want to think about whether or not that shelter or rescue is being um, really responsible with their raising and adoption practices. I think a little bit of it is um, actually your gut um, with going into the shelter, if you're able to, um, talking with the volunteers, talking with the staff, how do you feel about supporting that organization? Um, yeah, that can absolutely. be tough right now. Right. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's the pandemic puppy podcast. So, mm-hmm. you know, my advice this time last year may have been to window shop at a variety of local shelters or, you know, go to local adoption events for those foster-based rescues where they might not have a shelter that you can walk into um, and get to know people and get to know the nonprofits in your area and see who you feel good about supporting and who you feel good about helping match you with a puppy. Um, But unfortunately, that's not quite as possible now. In in some cases, you might still be able to start that relationship over, you know, over a Zoom coffee date or something with an adoption counselor. But that's not universally going to be available throughout the pandemic. A lot of shelters are really, really busy right now and, you know, taking stuff appointment only. And they'll only schedule an appointment if you actually are truly ready to adopt. So window shopping has gotten a lot harder. Yeah, that's where I think you make a really good point of seeing if you can do a a call or a Zoom meeting with them to figure out really what the process is and if you're going to feel comfortable with that right now, if you're to know if you're going to get the time to spend uh, with the puppy to know that's the puppy you're wanting to add to your home. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and we're assuming that you have some amount of choice here, which you may or may not have. You know, I live in Missoula, Montana. We have one local shelter. There are other local, you know, smaller shelters in various counties around, but, you know, it's pretty, pretty sparse. um, And our counties out in Montana are pretty big. Um, So I don't have a lot of local options and I was actually considering adopting a cat um, and I have, you know, since decided that I just brought home a puppy. I don't need a new cat right now as well. Um, But I had a really lovely pre-adoption experience with the Humane Society here throughout the pandemic where, you know, I filled out a form online. They called me, kind of confirmed what I was looking for. I'm really looking for an older older cat uh, gentleman who will just sit on my lap and purr. (laughs) Um, You know, I was really, I was genuinely hoping for like a 15 year old cat. Um, And, you know, and they were like, okay, yeah, we've got a couple. Um, If you want to come in and meet them, we'll schedule a time. And, you know, it was very low, um, low pressure, but they were able to kind of schedule a time for me when they felt like they had a couple cats in that I could actually look at. They weren't just telling me like, this is the one that we have that meets your criteria. 
So and there, I, I, it's just going to vary a lot. So you know, one of the biggest things that you're going to keep hearing from us when we're talking about shelter pets is that there's going to be times when looking at a, a shelter puppy or a rescue puppy, and I think we'll just keep saying shelter even though we mean shelter or rescue here just for brevity's sake. Um, and there are times where, you know, as we've covered in our last episode about shelter versus breeder, that might not be the case. So what are some of the kind of things that you think of if someone comes to you and says they're thinking about a puppy, um, what, what would help you decide to point them towards a rescue or a shelter versus a breeder, Gary? If they are looking for probably a pet, they don't have specific needs, you know, they want a buddy to hang out with. Um, if you are looking for a puppy to, you know, do sport or for example, um, my one and a half year old, I'm hoping that she's going to be a demo dog for work. Um, mm -hmm. I was looking for something specific. Um, mm -hmm. and in the shelter, you, you, you're not going to necessarily be able to, like you said, your local shelter, there's not a lot of options for puppies. Um, we tend to have a few more here. I think currently um, the local shelter has maybe like six puppies. Um, and it does seem like we're getting some pretty consistently. Uh, but again, if you have a specific breed or specific um, sex, uh, a shelter might not work. Uh, yeah. You could potentially uh, check in with breed rescues. Uh, mm -hmm. If you wanted a specific breed, uh, but again, you might be waiting uh, for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a, a difference between kind of, oh, I generally want a decent hiking buddy and I prefer herding dogs. You know, you probably will be able to find that in a lot of parts of the, the country. Um, my shelter just had a, a litter of kind of border collie Aussie mix puppies show up that are just the cutest. Um, <laughs> and um <laughs> you know, that that's relatively easy versus, you know, if you if you want a small hypoallergenic breed that's going to be good with kids, it's going to be a lot harder to find that in shelters, um, especially, you know, like small hypoallergenic breeds just really don't show up in shelters at all, especially when you're then looking for a puppy. Um, right. So, you know, as we've said, everything here is a generality and some shelters or rescues are going to be fabulous, but bend the guidelines here in a couple places and that's okay. So we just want to kind of help you think about what to look for in general when vetting or deciding on a shelter or rescue. And Carrie, I think you already made probably the most important point here, which is as much as possible, just kind of get to know them and check them against your own ethics. Because if for you adopting from a no-kill shelter or rescue is the most important criteria, that's fine. Um, you know, we're not going to yell at you for that. But if your number one criteria is adopting the dog that you want or adopting from a shelter that ha helps the community and supports the community as much as possible, that might point you in a different direction. So um, we've got a list of five here, and I think what might make sense is, you know, Carrie and I are just going to go back and forth with one over the other and talk about it in turn. So I'll start with the first one, which is that the shelter is compliant with local regulations. Um, this is really, really important for me as part of just thinking about whether or not a shelter or rescue is run well um, on kind of the executive administrative side and um, ethical as far as following local guidelines. So in Colorado, for example, there's PACFA, um, and that is a series of laws and guidelines that outline how you're allowed to house dogs um, and cats 
in a sheltering environment. And if a shelter or rescue is not PACFA compliant in Colorado, that is a big thing that I would run away from. Um, you know, similarly in Missoula, we have regulations on how many dogs can be in a household without a kennel permit. Um, and if a shelter or rescue routinely sends dogs out to foster in a way that violates that kennel permit um, requirement, you know, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. Um, do you have anything to add about kind of local regulations, other examples there, Carrie? Uh, we have similar and it will, it, it lines out everything from medically what they need to do um, with the animals, um, you know, vaccines, health checks, all of that, um, to, you know, what the kennels need to be like um, to follow the regulations. Uh, so checking to make sure that whichever organization you're hoping to to get your pandemic puppy from, um, that they're following those. Yeah, definitely. So, and then our second point is honesty about what they know about the dog's health and temperament. So what do you have to say there, Carrie, about why that's so important? So a lot of times when, you know, you go and see that puppy or dog, um, you're not, you're seeing just a kind of a snapshot. Uh, so you really need the organization um, to be transparent as far as any uh, medical issues that the puppy has had or may continue to have, um, and then also behaviorally anything. That's really just going to set everyone up to succeed if they know already what's going on and to make the right match. You know, one person might be comfortable working um, or having a dog that is a little bit more worried about people. And then there's another home where that's just not going to be a great option because of how busy of a household mm -hmm. it is. So we really need uh, the shelters to be transparent uh, with any info they have. Not to say that they have it all, of course. Um, especially with puppies. They don't, they're not there very long. Um, but whatever they can uh, give you is really just helping you uh, make the right match and hope that the the pup stays there forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you made a great point that it, it, this isn't a good or bad assessment of a given puppy. Um, you know, the puppy I just brought home, um, the breeder specifically, you know, kind of talked to me about him because she she wanted to keep him, but knew that he was too much for her because she has a six month old baby right now, and he is a lot of dog. He's got a lot of big opinions about being. Um, gated uh, or behind any barriers. Um, he's a very, very active little guy, which is exactly what I was looking for. And he's also very independent, which is also exactly what I'm looking for. But for some people, you know, you might want more of kind of a cuddly, laid back companion. And, um, you know, so as much as possible, and this is where, you know, we're going to talk about this later, but particularly with puppies, I feel a lot better going towards shelters or rescues where those puppies have been in a foster home. And there's actually a good chance then that there is someone who does know those puppies well. And sometimes that's not an option because the puppies are dropped off at the shelter when they're 20 weeks old. So they, you know, don't necessarily go out to foster um, and they're just going up for adoption right away. But if, you know, those puppies were born at the shelter or turned up when they were two weeks old, they were probably in a foster home. And then there is someone who knows their personalities and know how, uh, fluffy differs from Rover. Right. So, you know, the third point is that I personally really prioritize shelters that offer holistic community support. Um, 
we've talked about this a little bit already, but the sort of shelters where part of their mission is pet food banks or behavioral support, pre and post adoption for the community. Um, you know, just I, I, I prefer supporting shelters where they are kind of a community hub for animal welfare. Um, that's just a personal choice. Again, uh, that might not be an option for you depending on what, <laughs> what the rural or municipal shelters around you are. Um, or it might not be the most important thing to you. You know, maybe you do just really want a greyhound. Um, so you're just going to go to the local greyhound breed rescue and that's what you're going to get. And that's, you know, that's fine, but weigh it as an option. Absolutely. That, that is one of the things that I um, enjoy about helping one of our local shelters is if we have a dog that is, um, has more behavior challenges, we set up something where either they're in contact with me beforehand and we can make sure that it really is going to be a, a good match for both the, the dog or puppy um, and the family. Um, and that's a way that a shelter can uh, support the community to really make sure that um, not only being transparent of what's going on, but really setting them up to, to succeed in the right household. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for number four, we'll, we'll revisit the euthanasia rate discussion that I already made. So do you have anything to kind of add about, you know, whether or not people need to be really, really concerned about euthanasia rates or when that might matter? So I th think that's going to be kind of an individual um, choice as far as how you feel about that. But, you know, there's always going to be potentially behavior or uh, medical reasons where it is the kindest choice for for the animal, um, and then we do we have shelters that just don't have the resources, um, and they can't take more animals in, um, so that that can be really challenging as well. Uh, so I really think it's it's going to be up to the individual to decide um, how they feel about that that portion of it. Uh, yeah, but absolutely, but there are definitely reasons um, that are right for the animal. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the most unkind thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and certainly again in cases. And, you know, again, generally this isn't going to be something that your potential puppy is at risk for. In most parts of the US at this point, puppies generally are not being euthanized, but you might still wanna, you know, be thinking about where you're taking your, your money, you know, to be perfectly right. honest, because a lot of shelters do, rely to some degree on the higher adoption fees for puppies to help offset the costs of more expensive or more problematic adults. You know, your puppy that costs $250 at the shelter might help offset the cost of an, a senior dog that was adopted for $50 but required a dental surgery prior to adoption. Right. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot to think about here. And then, you know, the last point I want to make um, is that there are some rescues out there that are a little bit less ethical or reputable and may be in the practice of something called flipping dogs. Are you familiar with that, Carrie? And do you have anything to say as far as kind of warning signs to keep an eye out for if that might be something that you're walking into? Um, so as far as with flipping, we can see it kind of different ways. Um, you know, sometimes it'll be more on something like a a newer rescue where um, maybe they're advertising on Craigslist. Um, unfortunately, with flipping as well, it can be stolen animals, um, but they are potentially getting large amounts from from elsewhere. Supporting these groups can 
inadvertently support um, unfortunate breeding practices. Um, so there are, you know, there have been a couple high profile cases of shelters or rescues flipping puppies that they got for free off of Craigslist and then adopting them out mm -hmm. later or getting those puppies from a puppy mill. You know, you mm -hmm. see this occasionally with rescues that kind of specialize in adopting out puppy mill dogs. And it turns out they're actually buying those dogs at auction and rescuing them. And these people often have their hearts in the right place, but they are fundamentally giving money back to puppy mills. Um, and it's just, it's something to keep an eye on. It's, it's not a black and white issue. You know, I think I've seen similar stuff some, with street dogs or meat dogs where um, they are bringing in dogs or puppies from really, really far away. And they often have really um, amazing sob stories on it, you know, social media. Um, but, you know, think about the cost of that and the risk associated as well as far as whether or not you want to support that. And maybe that absolutely is a thing you want to support um, because you are pulling um, and helping a dog who really, really needed it. But potentially that rescues practices uh, are actually sending money back into the exact sort of thing that you want to prevent. Yeah. So, and again, it's just something to pause on. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see kind of buzzwords from rescues that specialize in dogs from overseas, dogs from meat farms, dogs from uh, rescued from puppy mills. Um, and uh, some of those are incredibly well-run, really legitimate organizations. But again, sometimes they might be getting those puppies more from like an auction for a puppy mill where, you know, you're honestly, as far as the economics of it goes, doing something very similar to buying a puppy from a puppy store. Um, and that's not super common. <laughs> so it does seem like with those that the flipping happens so quickly, they get a large number of animals, they really don't even know behaviorally or medically um, too much about about the animal at that point. Um, and I think some of the the ones from overseas has brought some things with it medically um, mm -hmm. that we didn't have in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think you made a good point in kind of circling back to whether or not they know them. You know, I, I actually, I was telling you before I got on, before we got on the recording that I turned down a puppy um, a couple months before I met Barley, who's my current dog, um, because I was speaking to the rescue. It was a puppy specific rescue in, um, Colorado that kind of specialized in bringing puppies up from um, really overcrowded states kind of in the southeast and then bringing them up to Colorado to get adopted, um, which is a perfectly fine mission to have. But when I contacted them about a litter of puppies that they had advertised on their site as, you know, coming up into the site or coming up into the area, they basically told me like, okay, yeah, great. Um, which one do you want? And I said, well, I don't know what are their personalities like? And they said, we don't know which one do you want? <laughs> um, and I said, I don't, I, I can't decide until I've met them. Um, and especially if you guys can't really tell me, like, are they confident? Are they nice? Like, what has their history been like? Um, and they basically told me in not so many words that, you know, we've got 15 people in line behind you. These puppies arrive on Saturday and they're going home Saturday evening. Um, you know, and I, I chose to walk away from that. That doesn't mean that you have to. Um, but it is... I find it pretty concerning that they are not taking the time to get to know those puppies. They don't even necessarily, they haven't given those dogs time to quarantine or decompress. Um, and just picking a puppy based off of a single photo when, you know, you have no idea how many tries it took for them to get that photo where that puppy looked nice and happy and relaxed. Um, 
it's just it's it it's risky i i don't know what else to say about it yeah and if they weren't willing to share the any information um that they did have about the litter that it was more of just there's people in line um either pick a puppy or not Um, so that's that's really hard you you know sometimes you're going to need to especially if you if you have a limited time to meet a puppy uh, you are going to need to draw off of the people who have been around those puppies. Mm-hmm. Because if you have an hour with a puppy, you're not necessarily going to know that puppy, but a foster home may, or the or the mm-hmm. shelter staff or the volunteers who have been around the puppy for, for the last week are going to have that information. Um, and that goes back to that transparency that, that we need um, to know, to, to, in order to make the the best choice for us and not only the rescue but also the puppy in choosing both of those. Yeah, absolutely. And and you might have to ask around a little bit, but that's okay. You know, you you are going to have this puppy hopefully for, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16 years. It's okay to spend a little bit extra time talking to the shelter, asking if there's anyone who knows the puppy relatively well. Um, you know, there probably is someone in the in the shelter who has taken a liking to that puppy at some point. You know, everyone always notices when there's puppies around. So even if that puppy hasn't been in an official long-term foster home, there's someone who's been visiting that litter of puppies on their break and just getting some puppy love. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's worth it. And if they're not willing to give you that time or willing to give you that access, that is a yellow flag. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break um, to hear about our sponsors, and then we will come back to co- talk about some of the different things that we're thinking about when selecting a shelter puppy. Yay, fun. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so this podcast is supported by Journey Dog Training and our Puppy Raising Blueprint course. If you're feeling lost with puppy raising, check out this course at journeydogtraining.com blueprint. The full course covers topics ranging from common problem behaviors and socialization to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's all taught by yours truly, Kayla Fratt. And if you need more personalized training support, you can find all of that at journeydogtraining.com as well. We have a variety of courses, ebooks, and remote personalized training services available. So Carrie and I are back talking about selecting a shelter puppy. So I actually think this might be a little bit easier to talk about versus picking a shelter, um, although there's Absolutely. some challenges here. Um, so I think we're going to do the same thing. We're going to, we've got a list of some things to look at and to think about, and we're just going to kind of go back and forth on them a little bit. So we're looking at the same, the same document and Carrie and I'll just go for it. So I'll start off again with number one. And I think we've already hinted at this, but the first thing to think about when you're selecting a shelter puppy is that you want to be prepared to wait. Um, you're, unlikely to be able to select age, color, and breed in most cases, unless you're really, really patient. Um, You can stack the deck in your favor by being a little bit flexible with kind of thinking like, okay, I want like a lab mix or a pit bull mix. Um, And you'll probably be able to find something like that. But if you want a puppy of a specific breed, um, you might be able to find that at a breed rescue as well. Um, But again, the biggest kind of thing here is just be prepared to wait. Um, even if you are pretty flexible, even you know, you're just kind of like, yeah, I just kind of want like a dog that's over 20 pounds who can go hiking with me on the weekends and hang out with me and my and my boyfriend on the weekdays. Um, they might not have any puppies in the, in the shelter at all right now. So you might be need to wait and you might not be first in line when that next litter does show up. That next litter might be something that doesn't quite fit for you. 
And again, you know, hopefully you're going to have this dog for 10, 15, 20 years. Well, maybe not 20, but 10, 15 years. So it's worth it to wait a couple extra months to find the right dog. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Carrie, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, in the pandemic, the process of getting a shelter puppy might look different right now. Yeah. So I think all the shelters are doing it a little bit differently. Um, But for example, a couple of them that I'm involved with, it's appointment only. Uh, So appointments are being scheduled out quite a ways. Uh, So if you see that that cute puppy uh, on their website, it's not necessarily going to be there in a couple weeks when you when you can go in. So I would really recommend um, finding out what uh, what your shelter is doing as far as the process. So you kind of know or call a couple different ones and see which process you feel comfortable with. So they're also doing it where you're not able to go through the kennels. Um, So you're not going in and seeing the puppies in their environment and interacting with the other puppies. Um, They're doing it more in a meet and greet area um, just because of the pandemic at this point. So it really does change um, what you get to see. And then also finding out, um, you know, what kind of time limit is there because they have additional appointments. Are you only able to be there an hour, two hours? Um, how many can you see? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would really try to, to get that information in advance. And then uh, another thing I would ask about is, are you able to come back and look at the puppy or put a hold on mm-hmm. the puppy and see it at another time? Uh, because some may not be doing that if their appointments are going out a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so I would really recommend you find out what their their procedures are right now. Yeah, I agree. And I know the shelter I used to work for didn't do holds on puppies um, because the demand was so high. So even, you know, outside of the pandemic, that wasn't an option. So if you came in and you, you fell in love with a little puppy and you wanted to bring it home and you said, hey, can I come back and pick him up tomorrow? I don't have a crate. I don't have potty pads. I don't have a leash. I don't have anything. They would say no. So you either had to take that puppy or walk away and hope that there would be another one when you were ready. So we don't have this on our, on your list, but one of the other things to think about is once you're ready, it might be smart to collect some of these supplies, you know, kind of generic things like a crate, some toys, water bowl, food bowl, an exercise pen, so that you're ready when that the time to pull the trigger does come because, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a bad sign from a shelter if they're just kind of like, Hey, you know, like we've got 50 people who want a puppy. Like you 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 have to decide now. Um right. That's not necessarily a sign of a bad shelter or rescue. Um so you, you want to be as ready as possible when it does come. Uh, which is hard. You know, I I wouldn't want to I I had to sit around with them at a crate and an exercise pen and all that sort of stuff ready and set up and everything. I think 3 weeks before I was bringing home my puppy. Um, and I just kind of kept looking at it being like, man, I'm just ready to have a puppy in there. <laughs> um, and I knew when my puppy was coming home because I did go with a breeder. So I, you know, I knew the exact date, but um, gosh, it, 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 it'll be hard. Um, so, you know, I empathize with that. It can also, it can help people though, um, prepare other animals in the house that something is changing. I did the same thing. I had um, everything set up. Um probably starting about six weeks before, not all of it at that point, but gradually adding in things. um, So it wasn't a big change right as the puppy was coming home. 
so if you're making, you know, that appointment to to go see a puppy, maybe you go and get those things while you're waiting for your appo- mm-hmm. appointment to happen so that you're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, I would say generally with any shelter dog, any new dog at all, but especially with a little puppy who's not likely to be fully vaccinated, you don't want to take them and then on your way home have to swing through Petco. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I mean, luckily with, you know, Chewy.com or whatever, you can order the food you need. And most shelters or rescues are going to send you home with some food anyway. And, you know, you've, you've got some basic supplies, but it, it is going to be really wise to have that like crate, X pen, bowls, toys ready as soon as pacifiers. You know. <laughs> yeah, pacifiers. As soon as you know that you're like, all right, I'm officially looking, I'm officially, you know, ready to pull the trigger. Um, because again, if like someone relinquishes four 20 week old puppies to the shelter, the shelter is relatively likely to be adopting them out very, very quickly. Um, so you won't necessarily be able to prepare yourself for a couple weeks as you're watching four-week-old puppies be, become eight-week-old puppies and then go up for adoption. Right. So, you know, the next one that, again, we've already kind of hinted at, but we'll say explicitly is don't pick sight on scene if you can. Go and meet them. If at all possible, meet the siblings, meet mom if she's around, you know, anything that you can get out of um, meeting the the litter mates and mom is going to be really, really helpful. You know, there might be times where it's just a single puppy that someone found in a ditch and didn't have a microchip and now it's at the shelter, you know, but you still want to go and meet him or her. And we'll talk a little bit about what we're looking for there, but, um, you know, as much as possible, don't commit, don't decide, don't get your heart set on something um, before you've actually gone and met the puppy. Um, And it, Again, I don't think we have this on here. You know, our next point is is related, but if you, if possible, bring someone who's going to be a good gut check for you. Um, bring someone with you who's going to say like, "Hey, this puppy is a little, a little crazy or a little shy, or you know, that doesn't sound like what you were looking for." And have someone with you, a good, honest friend who will actually help pull you back, not someone who's going to urge egg you on into getting more of the puppy, no matter what. Um, it's so hard to say say no once you're there. So so having that person that you know will be really honest um, will be really helpful. Yeah. Actually, yesterday when I was picking up my puppy, my, uh, my boyfriend misunderstood a comment that I made where um, Niffler, my puppy, was a little bit nervous of Barley. Um, and I was like, oh, gosh, good thing that um, Rhea, his sister, is still here. And uh, my boyfriend thought that I meant that, oh, I want to take Rhea instead. And I meant more the, 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 that she was going to be emotional backup for Niffler. And as soon as I got to meet outdoors and actually sniff instead of meeting through the gate, Niffler was fine. Um, but, you know, he, he was like ready to pull me aside and be like, no, 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 no. You were set on that puppy. If that puppy is not the one for you, you're waiting. Um, which is, you know, right. that's exactly what you want out of your, your wing person for your puppy. Absolutely. So let's talk about, you know, bring, who, who else you might want to bring with you. Um, so. Ideally, anyone in the household, but again, you're going to have to talk to the shelter about how many people they're allowing right now to come. Some places are only allowing a couple people. Uh, Another recommendation as far as, you know, with bringing the whole family, if you are allowed to put, say, a three-hour hold or a 24-hour hold on a puppy, it's great to have the whole family there, but if your kids are not going to be able to handle um, us saying no to a puppy, 
maybe if you're able to go see again, um, that's when the whole family comes. But again, it's going to be dependent on each shelter if you can come back. If you can't come back or put a hold on, then definitely having the whole family there, having kids, anyone in the household, um, and then your your person that's going to help keep you in check as far as if it's the right right puppy for you. For example, at the um, shelter that I work with, uh, they have six Great Dane puppies. And so if you went in and you're not able to have a hundred plus pound dog, but you fall in love with this Great Dane puppy, that someone's going to say, hey, you know, your apartment with that 100 pound, 120 pound dog is maybe not the right match. Yeah. 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 And that's, gosh, I'm so glad you made the point about, you know, if it's going to be devastating for your children to not come home with that puppy, then it might actually be wise to leave them behind, um, which is not actually something, I don't know how I overlooked that because um, I saw it happen all the time at the shelter. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, you want to have all the stakeholders involved in the decision there. Um, but if, if you don't feel confident that you can walk away from something that your gut says is wrong because your kids are there, um, then maybe don't bring them that first time around. Um, and absolutely, the reality is with most puppies, most kids are going to be pretty happy with just about any puppy that shows up. Um, absolutely. And hopefully <laughs> you're going to be able to vet and bring home a puppy that isn't going to be terrified of your kids. Um, Cause that's actually the thing I'd be more concerned of. Right. So, you know, we've already said this a little bit, but try to meet mom if you can. Um, you know, it's it's nice to get to see how she reacts. You know, is she nice and relaxed? Is she overall handling the shelter pretty well? Does she want to come and say hi to you guys? Like, that's all good stuff versus if mom is cowering in the back of the kennel and really, really freaked out, you know, A, those genetics are probably being passed on to the puppies. And that doesn't mean that it's, you know, a death sentence for anxiety for the rest of the puppy's life, but it is a consideration. And furthermore, you know, those stress hormones that are coursing through her body as she, you know, cowers in the back of the kennel are being passed on through the puppies, um, you know, through milk, through umbilical um, connections when they were actually still in utero. So think about that a little bit. If mom seems really, really highly stressed, you know, those genes are going on to those puppies and those stress hormones are going on to those puppies as well. Um, which is, you know, again, it's, that's hard to see. Um, but it's not all in how you raise them. And before you bring a puppy home, it's better to assume everything you see is genetic and is going to be really, really difficult to change versus kind of walking and assuming that you can change and fix everything and then being disappointed three years later. Absolutely. And if you can't meet mom, was mom, you know, at the shelter? Did people interact with her? Um, Just try to get any information because that is a little bit of insight into the puppy's genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if she's no longer there, um, see if you can gather any, any info about her. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it also is totally fair to ask, you know, if those puppies have been in a foster home the whole time and mom, you know, now that she's at the shelter is acting really stressed out, you know, that's, that, that's a little bit different versus if the puppies and mom have been in a kennel in the shelter the whole time. So, you know, asking as many questions as you can and asking whether or not this is typical for her. Um, when I was picking up Niffler, um, his mom uh, was resource guarding quite a bit from Barley and was just really stressed out by Barley's presence. And his, um, 
Niffler's breeder kind of was explaining to me where she was like, you know, I don't know what's been into Cora. She's been doing this ever since she's been pregnant. Um, she's normally so good with other dogs. She's my demo dog. She goes to agility trials and she's just been, you know, really, really high stress lately with strange dogs. Um, and that was really good for me to hear because I was watching that behavior from Cora and being like, ooh, you know, that's that's a little bit concerning. But knowing that, you know, some, uh, I don't want to call marital stress, but that's maternal stress. That's the word. Right. Some amount of maternal stress is very, very normal. Well, and especially then add in shelter environment um, as well. So any information that you can gather as far as has mom even been with the puppy since they've been at the shelter, depending on age, they may have already been um, separated. Uh, have they been in foster? If so, um, what do, what does the foster family know about mom? What is What do they know about the individual puppies? And like we said before, you know, there's volunteers or staff hanging out with those puppies. Yeah. Uh, what information do they have? Yeah. Yeah. And if you kind of you're in that adoption room and some staff member walks by and their face lights up and they go, oh, my gosh, that puppy is just the sweetest. I love when he falls in my lap. You know, he falls asleep in my lap or whatever. Like, cool. That's really good information versus, you know, you hear you see someone walk by and they go, oh, have fun with him. He's crazy. <laughs> you know, um, you know, hopefully you're lucky enough to have someone make a comment like that. But if you're not, ask. Absolutely. Because you're only really going to be seeing a, a snapshot of a little picture of the puppy. And who knows, did the puppy just get up from a nap? Is the puppy ready for a nap? Were they vaccinated earlier that day? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or did they just eat too much and they don't, they're sleepy or they don't feel great. I mean, that those are all things that could happen when you see that puppy for an hour. So try to gather information from people who are around the puppy more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say right now, my, my little border collie puppy that I specifically picked out because he was the crazy one in the litter is totally like roadkill dead dog position in a beam of sunlight. <laughs> Uh, and if I walked into a shelter right now and looked at him, I'd be like, ooh, he looks nice. That's easy. <laughs> and like, you know, a week from now, as he settles in a little bit more and he seems like he might be growing, he's been really sleepy. Um, and I'm sure he's just stressed out, you know. Um, so asking as much as you possibly can about the puppy history. And again, like if, if there is a foster home, that is just so helpful and getting as much as you can out of them. And you just brought up a good point as far as some transition stress. Uh, mm -hmm. If the puppies were just brought back into the shelter because they had been in foster, we might be seeing very different behavior from the puppies um, because that is a huge transition. Um, they might be mm -hmm. a little bit more sleepy. Um, they might be a little bit more worried. We saw this with a litter of puppies recently. I saw them the day after they came in and two of them were definitely hiding kind of back at at the back of the kennel and we started doing um, a few little activities with them. Um, and when, within a few days, all of them were way more outgoing, you know, at the front of the kennel wanting to engage with everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so was that the true personality I was seeing that day? I think it had more to do with the transition stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And particularly, you know, if you had, we saw this all the time at the shelter where there was a litter of eight and there's now one left. You know, that's right. a hard position for a potential adopter because you don't get to meet mom. You don't get to meet the littermates. You don't get to pick. You know, it's like it's this one or bust today. Um, and that 
puppy often was really stressed out because, you know, they came in out of their foster home to the shelter, which is a huge transition. And then one by one, their seven siblings all left. And now they're alone for the first time in their lives. Um, so again, just getting as much information as you can about the puppy history, because whatever you're seeing is a snapshot. It's important, you know, it's, it's valuable information, but it, it might not be the whole picture again, just depending on so many potential extenuating circumstances. So if you are looking at a kennel of puppies and say they have been in the shelter for a couple days and, you know, there's, you've got six there, what are you kind of looking for in general, um, to, to kind of say like, oh, this one seems really nice for my my aunt, jo Julie, who's looking for a puppy. Right. Because it might be different if I'm looking for the puppy. <laughs> so I'm... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so, so let's think Aunt Julie, who's got like a, you know, she's got some older kids. She's pretty active on the weekends, but, you know, pretty average okay, yeah. schedule and energy level hopes. So I do want to see a puppy that you know, sees people at the front of the kennel and runs right up and wants to engage, um, you know, that they're happy, they're, they're wiggly, you know, everything we think about fun little puppies being, um, I would be more concerned about the puppy that is laying at the back of the kennel and not wanting to engage. It doesn't mean it's an absolute no. Um, you know, is that puppy really just sleepy? Uh, but I really like to, in times when we can do it, I like to observe um, at a at a distance. You know, if our shelters were just open right now and people are walking through, I love to stand off a little ways and see how the puppies are interacting with different people coming by. How do they interact with kids going by, men, women? Um, are they exploring their their environment and really wanting to engage with us? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd say generally, I'm kind of looking for, you know, a wiggly, comfortable puppy. They might be mouthing you a little bit. They might be, you know, a little annoying, but that's that's normal behavior. I think sometimes people make the mistake of being like, ooh, that one that's kind of just sitting quietly in the back, he seems really nice. Yes, <laughs> but it also could be fear. Um, right. And sometimes that really still, quiet, quote unquote, good puppy um, is the one that's actually most likely to grow up to have more of these kind of fear issues. Um, and not that that means that you can't take that puppy home. You know, if you're ready for a more sensitive dog, you've got a little bit of a training of training experience, you've got a quieter household, there's nothing wrong with being like, you know, I came to the shelter to help a dog, I'll take the I'll take the, the scaredy cat. Um, there, you know, Absolutely. that there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that puppy's broken and no one should take it home. But for, you know, kind of your average, relatively busy household, especially if you've got kids, looking for kind of that that wiggly comfortable annoying puppy um but also not super annoying you know if you've got a litter and one of them is hanging off your sleeve uh all four paws off the ground <laughs> for most people that's probably not that's not what you're looking for and i think that is relatively easy for a lot of people to recognize although i think i have overheard people be like oh my god he loves me <laughs> it's like well he loves tugging on your sleeve and that's going to be a lot less cute when he's 65 pounds and if there's kids in the home, mm -hmm. um, because then we end up with kids that become worried about the puppy um, and not wanting to interact with the puppy. So definitely something to take into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things I love to ask about um, is whether or not the shelter offers any post-adoption support. You know, what are your 
What are your options? Some shelters or rescues offer free or discounted puppy kindergarten. Some offer behavioral support over the phone. Um, you know, there's a variety of options and it's it's okay if they don't have anything. You know, if you're just going to your local municipal shelter, there's a good chance there's nothing. But if there is something, you want to know about it so you can take advantage of it. Absolutely. Some will offer um, discounts in getting later vaccines uh, because your puppy is going to be doing their puppy series um, or discounts on training. Some shelters even have um, training at the shelter, you know, not not in uh, where the, the kennel dogs are, but they might have an area where they're actually teaching classes there um, to help support the community. Yeah, yeah, and especially with puppies, you know, if they've got a puppy playtime or a puppy kindergarten or something, um, that is so, so valuable. And a lot of times you might get to have your puppy get to be reunited with his or her litter mates every week, um, which is always really cool to get to see them remember each other and go, beat the crap out of each other for an hour <laughs> and then you get to have a really quiet tired puppy at the end of the day which I know uh, a lot of people crave while they're in the midst of puppy raising. That is generally our client's um, favorite time of the week is after puppy class. <laughs> yeah yep I, uh, I wonder why I just like every time my puppy gets up right now I'm just like oh god <laughs> podcast recording is about to be ruined but he is being so good right now. Um, so, you know, as I as we've said several times, like get to know puppy and mom as much as possible through question asking and if at all possible going twice, you know, again, that might not be possible, but it, it, don't be afraid to ask. Um, and they might say, well, you know, normally that's not a thing, you know, that's not allowed, but, you know, maybe they'll bend the rules for you. And, you know, if they can't, that's okay. Don't get mad at anyone. But you'll you'll never know if you don't ask and it might be something that they're like oh yeah you know generally we don't have that you know allowed but because you you were trying to adhere to social distancing so you left your partner behind like absolutely come on back we want the whole family to meet meet the dog um and that actually i i should amend what i said earlier about the shelter i used to work for the re they did do holds for puppies but it was only for introductions with the rest of the family introductions for the other dog and maybe landlord checks. I think there was three reasons. Right. But if you just wanted to like go buy a kennel <laughs> before you brought the puppy home, they wouldn't let you do that. Although they also had a small store at the shelter. So I think you could get just about anything you needed at the shelter as well. So, you know, um, and it, it differs. Yeah. So that's where asking about the process um, beforehand. So, you know, if, you will be able to leave the kids home and maybe have someone on standby to, to bring them in mm -hmm. um, if you did find a puppy, um, if they're not going to let you um, hold for too long. I know some places will do just to hold for a few hours. Um, mm -hmm. Others will do like 24 hours to get, you know, landlord approval or a meet and greet with the, the other dog in the home or things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of the most important final point that we'll make here is just to remind yourself that it's not all in how you raise them. Um, and that's, I think, one of the most pervasive myths out here that is particularly dangerous with puppies. I think a lot of times people want a puppy because they're like, oh my, it's gonna be moldable. They can, they can help raise that puppy into whatever they want. And yes, but, <laughs> you know, you still have to work within the parameters of genetics. So I, you know, we've said this before on the podcast, we'll say it again. Before you've chosen your puppy, before your puppy is home, 
assume everything is genetic. Assume everything you see is fixed. Everything is what is going to be your your dog's life for the rest of their life and whether or not you feel comfortable living with that. And then once the puppy's home, assume everything is trainable. You know, assume that everything is something that you can and should work on until, you know, you've been told by a really qualified behavior professional that it's not. <laughs> um, so do you have anything to add on on that particular myth? I think we're going to harp on it a lot throughout this podcast. Well, I think that's really great too. You have to be thinking about genetics because there's so many things that are going to be out of your control. But at the same time, when you spend time with that puppy and, oh, your puppy isn't cuddly, well, that can be a, a trained behavior that you can work on mm -hmm. um, to have your puppy enjoy being handled more. Um, a lot of puppies aren't very cuddly right away. Uh, they need to build that bond and, and feel comfortable with you. Um, so, you know, genetically you want to, you don't have much control, right? With a, a shelter puppy. Um, mm -hmm. So, so do try to pick that, that happy, wiggly, confident puppy. If you're going to have that, that busy lifestyle or kids in the home. Um, but then you also could look at that, that Shire puppy in the back and know that we'll do some confidence building, uh, when we, when we go home, but again, quieter home for that puppy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you have anything that you want to add as we're kind of wrapping up here, Carrie? With shelter pups, I think one of the, the hardest things is kind of the constraints of there aren't a lot of options. So kind of really be thinking about before you go in what are the more important things um, for you and your family and your household? You know, what can you work on or what is okay? You know, is a hundred pound dog okay? Or do you really need a under 50 pound dog? Uh, be thinking about those things before you go in because it is really hard when you have that cute puppy on your lap um, to walk away from them if it's not the right match for you. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but it also is really exciting. And, you know, you'll get to get to know your puppy. And, you know, the reality is, even when you go with a super well established breeder, um, you still, to some degree, don't exactly know what you're getting, they're going to grow up and change. And, um, you know, that is the excitement of getting a puppy. It's part of the adventure. Uh, so, you know, being being honest with yourself about what is really, really important to you and what you're flexible on. You know, like when I was getting Barley, I originally really wanted a dog with prick ears. I wanted, I wanted that pointy ear look. And that was not the most important thing to me. So I ended up bringing home a dog with floppy ears. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to compromise on some things, but know what you can compromise on and what you can't compromise on, I guess is what we're trying to say. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have more to say on this topic as we go forward throughout the podcast. But for now, that's kind of the brief overview of hopefully some useful information on picking a shelter, picking a rescue, picking a puppy once you're at that shelter or rescue. Um, and as a friendly reminder, our podcast is supported by our members on Patreon. So for as little as $3 a month, you can support this podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. We are recording this episode before the first episode has gone live. So we do not have any Patreon questions yet. But um, as soon as you guys are hearing this, you can go over to patreon.com slash pandemic puppy to sign up. And if you've got specific questions, myself and whoever the guest is, will tackle them at the end of each episode. So over the next couple episodes, we're going to cover preparing for your puppy, bringing home your pu puppy the first couple days of puppy raising, and then we're going to start getting into things like socialization and common problem behaviors. Um, so Carrie, in the meantime, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find us at GoRogueDogTraining.com and then also on Facebook at GoRogueDogTrainingCenter. Awesome. And I am Kayla Fratt. You can find me at journeydogtraining.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. You need to make sure that you subscribe, review, consider supporting the podcast and getting more amazing support by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy and signing up for that puppy raising blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. And of course, the last big free thing that you guys can do here is you can join the free pandemic puppy raising support Facebook group where Carrie and I are both admins. And that is absolutely free of charge. So as long as you guys have Facebook, you should absolutely check that group out. It's just chock-a-block full of amazing information. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be in your earbuds again soon. Thank you.